to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. So this morning, good to see you all here. <laughs> and <laughs> yes, and give yourself a high, like, good morning. Pat yourself. And look at, look at the, the friends around you, next to you. Uh, no touching, but you can give a smile. <laughs> give an air five. <laughs> or touch if you want, yeah, whatever. If you wish. Don't say I told you to. Uh, this morning we're talking about um, uh, the, the topic of unity from w- one passage from Ephesians. Okay, so I'm going to jump right into it so that uh, I can cover good ground. And I've decided to call it conspiring and in unity. And we may or may not have part two next week uh, uh, from this passage. But so I'll explain why conspiring, all right? But we're looking at Ephesians 4, uh, verses 1 to 6. So if you can turn your Bibles to there, Ephesians 4. We'll jump right in and then we'll read six verses and then we'll start. Are you there? Okay. Ephesians 4, there? Yes? Okay, so whatever version, if you can read just six verses, read with me. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. I can't hear you. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father God, we just ask for you to illuminate uh, and shine your light uh, of revelation, of insight, of wisdom uh, from this text that we're looking at this morning uh, upon us as your body, as your community of faith, as your family. And we pray, God, that you would move us into action of faith and obedience uh, for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we look at this uh, text, I just want to point out a couple of things so that we know very briefly, super briefly, just the context in which Paul is writing this, okay, in chapter 4. So the first three chapters, uh, you can see in the first three chapters, Paul is basically talking about spiritual blessings in Christ, being made alive in Christ, being one in Christ. And you see chapter 3, he starts off with this phrase, for this reason, I, the prisoner of Christ Jesus. And then here in chapter 4, verse 1, he says again, as a prisoner. And he doesn't mean that just um, like allegorically, right? He means that also literally, because he was writing this while he was having house arrest. Uh, in Rome, okay? So this is like maybe three or four years after he had been in Ephesus for about three years, uh, preaching the gospel there, doing teaching. And then after that, when he's, he was in Rome, he was in house arrest and he's writing as a prisoner, okay? So Ephesus, and, and next week we'll look a little bit uh, uh, more into that. Ephesus is a place where the great temple of Artemis was, okay? And all this is stuff that you can Google, you're probably doing it right now, maybe, maybe not, but that's fine. So I just wanted to throw it out there because there's a little bit of a reference that I'll make 
uh, to what Paul says. So that's the condition in which Paul is writing this text that we're looking at today, right? And uh, later on, after he finished, he got his friend to send this letter to the church there. Okay, if you look at verse 3, draw your attention to verse 3. It says, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. And if you scroll right down to verse 13, or if you have physical Bible, look at verse 13. I just want to show you verse 13 that says, until we all reach unity. Do you see that? So verse 3 says, make every effort to keep unity. And then verse 13 says, until we all reach unity. Unity. I don't know if it ever struck you before, but like so, keep the unity until we get unity. Okay, do you see the yeah. interesting thing there? And it struck me when I read this one time, and I thought, wow, I never thought of that. But so there is a sense that there is unity as positionally given to us simply by the fact that we call Jesus our Lord. You and I, we have unity, right, in the spirit in one spirit, in one faith, but then there's a sense also that we are attaining a complete unity, right? Do you get that? So I just show like briefly that the different versions. In, in the Passion Translation, it says, be faithful to guard, right? To guard, to keep, to maintain, make every effort until we achieve full unity, right? Or complete unity. Question, do we pray for revival? or spiritual awakening so that we experience unity? Or do we come together in unity so that we experience revival? There's no, it is not an exam, right? But I like to ask questions because I ask questions a lot. As some of you who know, I'm constantly asking questions. And sometimes questions are a good way to think uh, paradoxically, right? And so you, you see in a sense that, yeah, we are uh, called to unity, in unity. We are one and we become one. It's kind of like in wedding, right? Wedding ceremony, today, Mr. and Mrs., right? You're one. And then your journey is continually learning what it means to be one, right? And, and that, that maturing and that maturing and coming together. And I thought, wow, if we remember this verse in Psalm 133, it says in Psalm 133 that says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like oil running down the beard, running down the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon which falls on the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. So I want to propose the first thing to kind of like point out from this passage is that unity precedes blessing. It precedes the blessing of God. I'm not saying that, wow, like there always must be like full unity and whatever, then you have experienced the blessing of God. Eh, well, but where there is unity, there's blessing that God commands. God commands it. God, uh, it, it brings about the favor and the presence of God. In that, in that sense, there is an element of choice in our posture, if you think about it. right? It's not just... Um, whether we feel rapport, camaraderie, whether there's chemistry with each other, but it's more than that. There is a sense in which I'm choosing because of the unity we already have to grow in unity. I'm gonna posture myself and also because it is a covenant with God and each other 
as a family. So unity precedes blessing. Think of Acts 2, when, when the Pentecost happened, right? Look at this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And he tells us the rest of it. Just the narrative in Acts is crazy. Like the full number of those who believed of one heart and soul, no one said that any of the things belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. And I mean, we know the Lord grew them in numbers, right? William Seymour, who was one of the founders of the Azusa revival, said this, I can say through the power of the Spirit that wherever God can get a people that will come together in one accord, not the kara, and one accord, and I grew up with these lame jokes growing up, right? right. Who rode in to, who rode in and triumph or something like that, David. But one accord and one mind in the word of God, the baptism of the Holy Ghost will fall upon them, like as at Cornelius' house, right? And the verse goes on to say, look back in that passage, Ephesians number two, be completely humble and gentle, be patient. Verse three, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. It tells you what? It takes effort. Right? No, it doesn't say like just, you know, chill until you get unity in the spirit or just slide into it. Uh, it's make every effort. Right? Because Paul knows of all people, I mean, he's pretty intense as a person, right? And of all people, he knows it takes effort. Zoom in to verses 1 to 2. So here Paul is reminding us he is in house arrest. But he's highlighting he's not just a prisoner to the people of Rome. He is a prisoner for the Lord. He's saying that, hey, I have a different master. My perspective is beyond this. Right? He recognizes and he's pointing it out to the people in Ephesus because of all the, the stuff that he's talked about in the three chapters before this is your identity has changed. Right? Our kingdom calling is to live a life that is worthy of it. That's why I'll read to you Briefly, the phrase from the Passion Translation of this, it says, right, here in our version, it says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. The Passion Translation says, live a life suitable to your high rank, given to you in your divine calling. How many of you feel like you're of high rank this morning? I see some smiles like, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. We're our high rank, okay, to the divine calling that God has given us. I want to point out second thing is, so unity precedes blessing. Unity proves the worth of your calling. Now, sometimes we read these verses, live a life worthy of it. We think, oh, you know, it's about how worthy we are. It's about how worthy I am to live this kind of life, to be a light, to be a salt, but it's not. I think it's too good to be reminded that it's not so much the worth of our worth. It's the worth of the calling to which we've been called, right? And there is a big difference that I want you to think about it that way, right? What is this calling? It is a high rank calling, more than three stripes. It is a divine calling to which we've been called, and it is the worth of that calling that compels us to walk a life that is worthy of that calling. Nothing bearing on us, everything on the calling through what Jesus has done for us. And that's what Paul is trying to point out. Three chapters he's been talking about everything that Christ has done. And then here he says, therefore, as a prisoner, live according to this 
calling because you've been called to it. Unity proves the worth of our calling because he then calls us to live in one spirit, in one hope, in one baptism, in one father, right? Not based on our worth. Philippians 1.27 says this, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, right? And he goes on to say, striving side by side with one mind for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 2, uh, actually, Andrea was reading the later part of this passage uh, about the nature of Christ, who did not see himself. Uh, wait, so that passage, I can't, I can't memorize it. But before that, this part, it says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete, sharing this, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Right? And he talks about take on the nature of Jesus right? because he came to us. Right? It's good. I find it so liberating. Back to verses 1 to 3, Ephesians 4, that Paul actually not just says make every effort. He says be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why? Because we need to bear there is long suffering in, in living together and seeking unity. There is patience that's needed. There is gentleness that's needed. There is compassion, kindness that is called for that sometimes you just is beyond what you have to offer this person. Oh, you know. But Paul knows, make every effort and be completely humble and gentle bearing with one another, and he knows. Even very spiritual people, we in the church, right? Bear one another in love. It's needed in the bond of peace. Now, I know it's kind of sticky to talk about unity. So I'm not going to talk about, uh, you know, maybe you're thinking, what about like doctrinal agreements, theological disagreements, all kinds of things, character problems, moral issues. I know, yeah, okay. That one another day, but <laughs> not today, okay? But next week. But I think this unity, more often than not, we may not immediately be able to recognize is that, and I speak even for myself, it is due to a lot of pride and impatience when we have low tolerance for mess, for a lack of control, or to manage the results. And, and that's where a lot of times we, why do I say that? Because often this uh, unity is not just a moment in the life of the church or in a family, right? It is a posture rather than just an outward act. And it is a process. At this moment, you may not be as united as you should be, but it is a process. And we're committed to that process. And it's very much like marriage, right? Oftentimes, I am the worst person to be married to. Very often. I say that all the time. And Matt's super kind and sweet and forgiving to me, but I am not so, okay? If you know me. Some of you don't know me that well. Yeah. Uh, he's trying to not agree. Yeah. You know, not on the camera. But, you know, <laughs> he's like, no, 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 Janice. But I can be really hard to be married to. 
you may not be able to tell, it's a facade, okay? But, <laughs> but it's true. And unity is really a lot more a posture and a process. And sometimes uh, when we have a lot of things we disagree on as a church, as a, as a community, as an LG, whatever it is, just remember, okay, that, okay, am, am I having a posture that loves, that bears, that is humble? I may not agree, but how am I posturing? How am I participating in this process? Right? So unity is that way. Verses 4 to 6. I'm speeding through. We're going to verses 4 to 6. Okay, not many of us are electricians here, but when you work with power cables, right? I love this analogy that A.W. Tozer uses. He talks about the power cable. And one time, and, it, and this illustration, I can relate in the sense that I grew up in a place where power cuts are super common. <laughs> My longest one is like 30 hours. Did you have that, Darlene, before? 30 hours of no electricity. Seriously, would you die? Well, I didn't, but I almost did. Uh, so long. And uh, having no power is a huge, huge handicap, right? And A.W. Tolzer uses this. I'm going to read out what he says. Unity is necessary to the outpouring of the Spirit of God. If you have 120 volts of electricity, but you have broken wiring, and the dot, 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 he talks about, like, you turn this on, there's no power, there's no power. Unity is necessary among the children of God if we're going to know the flow of power, to see God do his wonders. In other words, if I can rephrase it, a persistence of unity allows for a persistence of the flow of the Spirit. And that's what sustains revivals. That's what sustains a move of the Spirit, right? Is a persistence of unity. Unity powers prayer. Unity precedes blessing, it proves the worth of our calling, it powers our prayer. Why? I want to draw your attention to the fact that Paul goes on to talk about verse 4. One body, one spirit, one home. There is this oneness that I don't know if you and I really fully grasp the depth and the profundity of this concept. Oneness. Let me, the, the next verse. Galatians, I think. Yeah, for in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female. All of you are one in Christ Jesus. 2 Peter 1, 3-4. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And I love at that end part, he talks about the promises of God escape corruption so that we may become participants of the divine nature. Again, divine calling, divine nature. Guys, we participate in the divine nature of Christ. The moment we have said yes to the Lordship of Christ and we allow the rule and reign of the kingdom of God to permeate more and more of our lives, we are participating in this shared nature. It's why Nicodemus could not understand, right? What does it mean to be born again? But when we are born again, we're born in the spirit. We share in that spiritual rebirth. It is a oneness that we're participating because of the Holy Spirit. 
and the oneness. If you've never really thought deeper about this, not that I have, but I just one like this was a revelation. Is that hey, that oneness is so powerfully expressed when we pray, "Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name," and then we say, "In Jesus' name," it's not my Father only. It's not your Father. It's our Father. And that oneness, when we share in the divine nature, we participate with Christ in this divine nature, there is power when we pray united. It's, of course, God hears our alone prayers. Of course, He answers prayers we offer up in the quiet place. But when we pray, whether in quiet places together or physically together, there is unity that powers our prayer and brings about. I mean, if a woman knocking on the door can cause the man to open the door, what more the church and the family come together? I, you do know that, that the funny thing is, I was just thinking about this and like, hey, what would illustrate this? And God just brought to mind the instances when our kids, so they fight a lot in case you haven't heard stories. Don't go and ask them, please. Okay. But so they fight often, okay? Not always, every day, but they fight often enough to drive me up the wall. And <laughs> so there are moments, right, when they don't fight, but they do the opposite. What do I mean? They gang up. They gang up on me. <laughs> you laugh. Hey, the singles are laughing louder. Okay. So they... <laughs> They gang up on me to my surprise. And either the Mei Mei is, you know, standing up for the Gaga or the other way. Even if it's something that's totally insignificant or something that is very wrong. Okay, please, Nami, we want this. You know, we must have it now. Okay, I'm like ganging up. What's this suddenly so united, right? It actually brings so much pleasure to me. <laughs> Secretly, I'm not like, wow, so united, so sweet. But on my face, I'm like, no, you know. <laughs> but sometimes it just moves me, and I'm like, wow, how to say no? I can't say no. Even what they're asking for is something I would never otherwise give, but their unity, you know. <laughs> but you get what I'm saying, right? Is that when we are united, no, we're not bending God's arm, but, you know. It delights God, eh? right? It brings a pleasure when we come together and ask together. And that's, you know, we, that's why it's conspiracy. Okay, that's why actually, <laughs> actually the word conspiracy, right? I found this quite some time ago, but, you know, I thought to kind of like dig it up again. It counts on two words. It means to breathe together, right? Um, the cons part is like with and then the spire. So you have like aspire, perspire, whatever. Okay. So conspire, breathe together. Yeah, this is a long version. I'm not going to bore you with it. But see, neutral or good sense is to contribute jointly to a certain result. The bottom part, conspiring, to breathe together. And that's kind of what we do when we pray our Father, right? And our new divine shared nature. Actually, the verse uh, Andrea has been pointing out in John 20. Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Right? In verse 22, when he had said this, he breathed on them. 
receive the Holy Spirit. There is a sense that we breathe together in the Spirit when we pray, when we commune, when we worship, we hang out, we joke together. We are in a holy conspiracy. Right? We are coming to breathe together, to pray together. 1 Corinthians 12. So if we ever want to change the name from the city, the conspiracy. <laughs> Andre's like... <laughs> Andre's like, we need to talk about this, Janice. So you totally don't need to change the first letter and the last letter, right? It's, you know, it's the city, the conspiracy, the conspiracy. <laughs> but it's not a theory. That's our tagline. We are the conspiracy, and but we are not a theory. Okay, First Corinthians twelve. For for just as the body is one and has many members. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were baptized into one body. Breathe. So I want to remember this diagram. And then we're going to uh, focus on this for a little bit and close. Remember this? <laughs> one. <laughs> I like how Holy Spirit is in the center. Actually, like if, if you see the contrast diagram maybe you yeah so you can look it up practicing the way but uh andre talked about this right uh, when he talked about consecration leads to visitation right and how there there is this triangular like uh well working together of teaching practice community uh intentional right intentional uh in teaching and practice and community and by the holy spirit is where we can be authentic and grow deeper in our discipleship, right? And um, I remember there was a time when I was pregnant with our second child pretty heavily. I had just gone to a silent retreat. Um, I was the biggest one there for obvious reasons. Yes, I was the only pregnant, very pregnant lady there. And uh, it was in uh, Fraser's. So I was traveling back to Sabah and uh, I was going to KL Central. And if you've been there, it gets kind of crowded and, and all that, and, and very hot. So I was struggling being big and heavy, struggling with my luggage, one, hand in the, uh, one, uh, one bag in one hand and then a heavy bag on the other. And I was going into the lift where it was going to bring me to the bus that I was taking. And uh, someone, there was this man who decided to walk towards me with this face like, that looked like he was about to do something. Now, I don't know where it came from. I, didn't, I was not raised to be highly suspicious of persons. <laughs> um, but for some reason, maybe it's the maternal instinct, I just gave him this look right? so as he was walking towards me with his hands kind of like that. And I thought, what's this man trying to do? So I gave him this look like, like a deathly stare. <laughs> Like, don't come near me, don't you dare. Uh, and so actually he kind of like backed away a little bit and then he said, uh, can I help you with the bag? <laughs> to, to my embarrassment, I said, oh yes, please. <laughs> uh, and, and only after I, I handed the bag over to him and he helped me to get in and out the lift that I realized how grateful I was to have help. No. 
Um, I, and, and that moment actually was another teaching moment for me because I realized that a lot of us, we are, well, for good mostly, we are raised to kind of take care of our stuff, right? But there are times when we don't realize how important it is to have someone else, right? And how much help we really need. Uh, we think we're fine. But when there is community, we can be really finer. Like better, okay, and we don't realize that because I'm fine, right? We are we're taught that way, but we're reminded today in our coming together, in our unity, much can happen. Changed lives can be really changed lives, more deeply changed lives, and that's for me, for you, for all of us, where there is stronger formation of our walk with God, because most of our things, most of the truths and teachings are not meant to be practiced alone. They're meant to be practiced together, right? And only when we do that together as a gathering, as an ecclesia of God, right? That's when we really experience transformation. And this is not a unity that is out of fear or, or passivity. Uh, John Wesley was written about in The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell in this. He says, Wesley realized that if you wanted to bring about a fundamental change in people's belief and behavior, a change that would persist and serve as an example to others, you needed to create a community around them where those new beliefs could be practiced and expressed and nurtured. This is him writing about John Wesley. John Wesley was strongly influenced from the Moravian movement because he witnessed that. And this was written about John Wesley because he saw how important it was to structure in strong communal living, strong community is where people can begin to practice for real the things that we are taught in the word of God. And there is no way that we can otherwise. So I want to show you this picture. And not because uh, <laughs> this was a, an event that happened uh, back in my church in Sabah. And uh, we were organizing like a, like a walkathon thing uh, as part of a church event, uh, and also outreach. So we had like invited people and stuff like that. And towards, I think, about. We were very swamped with organizing it because it was pretty major and there were like stalls and games and a traffic permit stuff and all that. This was 2018. We had to design a bunch of stuff, so much work. But as we were, I think just, I don't remember how many weeks, maybe four weeks before it, then this idea came. I think we should do a flash mob. Okay. No. <laughs> Uh, most of us can't dance. <laughs> but that's not the point. Uh, I was super proud, and I, and I want to just illustrate, super proud of this moment because actually some of the significance of what took place from this event uh, was kind of like, not hidden, but we didn't realize. We just thought, okay, it's a fun idea. It would be kind of nice, surprise. But as uh, we came near to it, and the song choice and stuff like that, as it happened, it was really powerful, even in the spiritual realm, 
because we had made sure that there were people from multiple generations in there. And then there was some like history, backstory to this, that uh, there's a lot of tension between the generations. Uh, long story. But so with this dance, with some you know, willing and some unwilling dancers, <laughs> uh, we, we carved out time, sometimes practicing like late at night, 10, 11 p.m., like, you know, mothers, fathers, yeah, mothers, um, <laughs> just, just because, it wasn't intentional. Yeah, fathers can dance. So there were mothers and then young students and um, twins. And it was a powerful moment that we built towards and we prepared for it. And I realized that, so like, it was unity that brought the flash mob together, but it also created and galvanized a stronger sense, and it spoke to the spiritual realm because we were making a statement. And, and this, this group had so much fun doing it, but at the same time, it was a powerful one. And the song was by Ren Collective. It's called We Are Marching, or Marching On. And it talks about like, you know, a sound in the darkness, and, and like darkness will tremble and flee. And it was just that moment. And I will always remember how that was so significant in terms of shaping how the generations thought and viewed each other. And it's little things like that. It's not even so much how nice the dance was, right? I'm not going to show you the video up here. But I mean, just a glimpse of what I'm talking about is that we are being intentional in being united. It's not just being a feel-good unity. We're not talking about like everybody happy, like, but sometimes everyone happy or whatever is not God's agenda. Right? There is a unity that is as though it is just merely an end in itself, but it's not. We are talking about a unity that transforms lives and breaks mindsets and breaks strongholds. We're talking about unity that is counter-cultural. Right, we're talking about that kind of unity because unity promotes changed lives. And when we do that in community, and can I just say, actually since we've been joining church, we've been so, I always am impressed by how many of you serve with so much heart, seriously. And we, whether it is in GOSH, or as a prophetic team, or the staff, and, um, uh, the hospitality team sound ever and and just not not just not, maybe you're not in a team but you serve in multiple ways like or oh, the LG I think it's just amazing and and, and just and, and it's if you've not really joined or you've thought about serving like Andre says like join us like contribute maybe find a way maybe have wipe down stuff for this period and then it translate into something post virus okay or whatever it is but uh, this is a time when we can have you know everyone kind of serving and, and joining in because it's not just it's not just like oh it's good for me it's it's changes lives it's it's good for you and each other and it's something that we're called to do to be completely humble gentle bearing with one another in redemptively participating in what God is doing in our midst right, in our culture. We live in a culture where there is very high individualist mentality, right, and a culture where it's divisive, with generational clashes or immorality, self-preservation, a lot of compromise, a lot of brokenness, a lot of misplaced identity, and where significance comes from, right? But when we come as a community in unity, 
we are actually countering this. There needs to be, and I'm ending, there needs to be a holy discontent for a brand of church that does nothing to challenge our consumeristic lifestyle, our individualism, our comfort or convenience-oriented mentality. There has to be a discontent for that kind of church that does not challenge this because there is no way we can provide a counter-narrative to what goes on around us unless. There needs to be, in fact, like Martin Luther King puts it this way, Junior, creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. Wow. Let me say that again. <laughs> In his voice, creative maladjustment. Actually, does it sound like that? I don't know. Uh, <coughs> let me not try. I'll just, just my voice. Okay. A creative maladjustment of a non-conforming minority. We make every effort to keep this unity, to come together, to meet together, to pray for each other, to notice each other, to hear one another, to speak life into each other, to encourage one another, to admonish one another, to teach and correct, to encourage, speak courage, to embolden, to lift up, to empower, to align ourselves with each other. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, it's not that we're praying, God, let your kingdom be more powerful, right? It's not we're praying that. When we pray on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that, God, your reign, let it impact our lives more and more while we are here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven, God's presence cannot help but compel us to live a life that is different from what's going on around us, to be a prophetic voice in the wilderness, to provide hope where there is fear. I know it's hard. I mean, this is just, I mean, sorry to say, I'm not downplaying it. This is just a virus. There can be so much more. I mean, you've got, I mean, we've got ministers or you know, the government helping and supporting so much. You've got places that that doesn't happen. There can be so much worse stuff that happens to us as God's people. Are we united? Are we united merely in our sanitizing? Give us clean hands, pure hearts. (laughs) We've got to be united in what? Teaching each other, lifting each other up. Come on, come on bro, get out of that. Come on, live differently. Come on, let's do this together. Let's be different together. Let's speak together. Let's preach together. Let's pray together. Let's be different because of God and let's make it known. That's what we're about, right? That's what we should be united for. Think about, I I talked about just now, um, John Wesley, right? So he was impacted by the Moravians. It was interesting because I was just thinking, oh, I should talk about this group of people. And then PD shared this uh, thing. So I'm just, very briefly, and then we'll end. 
right? If you don't know, right, uh, uh, because I'm not good with historical facts, so I'm just going to read very briefly what happens with these people. So there's this count Zinzendorf, right? And, and he accepted a bunch of refugees uh, in Moravia. And, and, and he has this uh, hut, or hut in Germany, his estate. And in August 1727, they experienced a dramatic move of the Holy Spirit, which led them to start a prayer watch for 100 years, right? And this community became the center of a spiritual revival, which led to the planting of radical missional communities all around the world. You can say that modern missions movement came from this, right? Within five years, they sent out their first overseas missionaries. I'm, I'm talking about how unity propels God exploits beyond anything we can imagine. Look, sometimes we project unity to be this like nice and peace-loving and you know all accepting and cozy kind of fellowship. But it is more than that. Unity, when it powers our prayer, it changes lives, it propels God exploits beyond anything any lone person can do. What is the point of seeking God and saying revival when we are not coming together, bending together, bending, B-A-N-D, and bending together. We're bending together because God, this is beyond me. This is beyond us. And there we if you have ever watched Lord of the Rings, okay, I'm closing. And I, I, I just, I love this scene. Uh, two towers, right? And this is where, uh, so Theoden, do you, how many of you watch Two Towers? Some. You people. <laughs> okay, ending, ending. But. I must tell you the script because sometimes, you know, uh, words matter a lot. Oh, where's my... Oh, cannot, it's not here. <laughs> so what happens was in two towers... <laughs> okay, in two towers, right? So the, uh, the Urukai army was going to come, but they don't know that. They don't know that the army was so big. And there was... Uh, so the, the... Okay, just for lack of uh, well, proper narra narration, okay? The bad people are coming, okay? <laughs> And they're hiding out in their, uh, uh, with this king who had just been set free from a, well, who has just been exorcised. <laughs> no, 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 really. So, okay, he's just been freed, okay, to be king in his proper uh, rightful place. So King Theoden was talking with Aragorn and Gandalf in, this, uh, in the throne room. And Gandalf was encouraging King Theoden, okay? He was saying, ride out to meet the enemy, right? You can bring the women and children to safety, but ride out and fight. Meet them head on, right? And King Theoden, how many of you are remembering which scene I'm talking about? Kind of, sort of. Then King Theoden says, no, you know, there's too much at stake, right? Basically, too much lives. I'm not going to risk so much lives. And he says, I will not risk open war, right? And then Aragorn says, in, oh, in his amazing, like, you know, he says, open war is upon you, whether you will risk it or not. Right? <laughs> and then Gimli burps. Uh. <laughs> and in this scene, right, I just thought it was so amazing that in just that short few seconds, that is what church is about. When we retreat and try and preserve ourselves, what's the point? Because it's only a matter of time when, when they met them at Helm's Deep, 
and battle full on. And I think sometimes uh, there, there is a place where we're like, here we are, we're building, we're building strength. And I'm really not just talking about Corona, right? We're talking about we are at war, whether we would risk it or not. And we're not talking about like preserving ourselves at all costs, but what are we risking if we don't come together and fight? What are we risking? When we think we're doing fine where we are, just because circumstances are comfortable, when we are complacent because we're doing fine, but we are at war. And unity is being called for because darkness looms, always ever increasing. How are we responding? How are we looking out for one another? Yeah. I'm not saying I'm super good at this, but every time I think about this scene, every time God challenges me, how are we calling our people to war? Whether it is warring with kindness, generosity, whatever. Again, we're looking forward to Life Together series. So we're gonna respond to God, right? Just, just a minute, wherever you are, would you just stand with me as I ask the band to just come up and lead us in a song in a minute. We're just going to respond to God. Wherever you are, just begin to look to God and begin to ask Him, God, how are you challenging me right now in my lifestyle? How are you challenging me with your call to unity that I've heard this morning?